If you've been around GRC, you know that a couple of weeks ago I did promise that we were going to pause our Ephesians series to place our focus fully on the height of the Christmas season, and we're still doing that. But um, I've chosen today's text from a later section in Ephesians because its theme connects back to Steve's devotional last Sunday during our Lessons in Carol service when he reflected on John chapter 1, which highlights the coming of Jesus as the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness. Uh, Before we get to Ephesians chapter 5, let me set the context of Christmas glory. That light has come. Light has come. When I was a kid, I uh, wanted to be a meteorologist. Big word, simple idea, study of the weather. Literally from the ancient Greek, it means the study of things high up in the air. Uh, I'm not as geeked up as Jim Cantori, but I do love me a big storm. And uh, when I see a storm, when I'm in the midst of it, it is awe-inspiring to think that Humanity, with its science and progress and tools, cannot do a single thing to change what God brings through nature. I also love having four seasons here in North Jersey, each season driven by the tilt of the earth and how far this third rock is from the sun. And that unique combination brought us just a couple of days ago what's called the winter solstice. It's the day of the year, at least in the northern hemisphere, where we have the least amount of daylight. And to me, the darkness that uh, comes during the month of December isn't all that bad. It's not as bad as January. And I think one of the reasons is because December just has this increasingly cozy, comfortable sense, maybe because of light, maybe because even as the days get shorter and uh, the, the darkness increases, This holiday season brings out this warmth of trees and homes decked out with lights, uh, blow-ups glowing in the front yard. I remember as a kid heading into the city as a family, not just to see the tree at Rockefeller Center and all the lights, but also, I'm not sure if they even do this anymore, all of the window shops on Fifth Avenue decorated. A cold and dark New York City seems to transform when everything is bathed in light. Darkness can't change itself. It can't undo itself and can't undark. It needs something outside of it to invade. John, uh, in his worship prep, introduced that idea. It needs something outside of it to, to pierce. The rays of a sun 93 million miles away are needed to arrive eight minutes later to bring the dawn. A flashlight underneath a blanket dispels the darkness. A searchlight mounted on the front of a police cruiser pierces the dark neighborhood and shows what's lurking behind the bushes. Light in darkness is only possible if there is a a source from outside of natural reality that comes in and exposes. The darkness can't change itself. It needs something outside to bring light. If you read the the first chapters of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, you'll notice that the darkness of the world when Jesus arrives as a baby involved tyranny and oppression and fear of violence 
and infertility and homelessness, the killing of innocent children, political scheming, refugees, all against the backdrop of the unseen battle between good and evil. And if you forgot what you were doing reading the Bible, you might think it was the headlines of 2018. You might forget the the distance of uh, the context of a foreign land set 2,000 years ago. The same kind of darkness is still all too familiar in our world. And some might argue that that darkness seems to be increasing as the decades go by. Family structures breaking down, the fabric of society being ripped apart with increasingly opposite views on politics and economics and education and common morality. We read of corruption and abuse, a lack of individual responsibility, a deeper and deeper selfishness. Darkness seems to be increasing. You know, the good thing about the winter solstice is that every day after, all by itself, the sunrise comes a little earlier and the sun sets a little later. The bad thing about the spiritual darkness of our world is that morning light doesn't just arrive on its own. We need something from outside of natural reality to invade, to pierce. We need Christmas hope. The prophet Isaiah wrote this, Scripture reading number one last week. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The Apostle John wrote this about the arrival of Christ. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And Jesus, later on in John's gospel, stands up in the middle of a crowd gathered for a feast in the city of Jerusalem and boldly, brashly proclaims this about himself. I am, he says, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. When we talk about Jesus as the light, Jesus shining in the darkness, when we consider the coming of the Christ child to our world to save his people from our sin, when we consider the miracle of Emmanuel, the name given to Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, God with us, none of that light makes any sense unless we understand what darkness really involves. The contrast shows us the glory of Christmas. That's where we go secondly, contrast. And I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Listen carefully. These are God's words. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light." This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is God's Word. 
pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that your light would shine on us, that you would illuminate our minds and hearts. Yes, Jesus, that you would even expose what is dark in each of us, and that you would show us that you alone are the light of life. You alone can change the darkness of our own beings and of our world. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Contrast. Look at verse 8. Paul doesn't say to the Ephesians, you once walked in darkness. He says that elsewhere. That's absolutely true, but he actually says something far more penetrating, a lot scarier. He says, you were once darkness. That was your identity before you trusted in Christ. He's writing to these Ephesian believers. And as bad as that news is about the human condition and sin, the gospel, literally, good news is even better. Second half of the verse, there's no break. But now you are light in the Lord. Once you were darkness, now you are light. There's transformation. He's not just talking about an improvement in behavior. Like the teacher in first grade tells the parent at a conference, little Mikey's doing better not pulling the girl's hair. That's improvement. We're not talking about improvement here. Like uh, the sponsor saying, Nancy's been sober for six months. That's wonderful. But we're not talking about improvement. We're talking about transformation of identity from one extreme to the other, from darkness to light, from death to life. That's the contrast Paul's setting up here. And in light of this new identity, but now you are light in the Lord, Paul gives a positive challenge and a negative challenge. The positive is in verses 8 through 10. First, live as children of light. Be who you now are. Live out goodness, righteousness, and truth, verse 9. Find out what pleases the Lord and do it. How do you find out what pleases the Lord? Paul gives us some help elsewhere when he writes to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind by studying light revealed through the Word of God, and you will see what is of God's heart. You'll see what leads to life. Know and rest, we could say, going back to our Ephesians series, know and rest in the truths of Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 before you think about acting on chapters 4, 5, and 6. Know the light. Know how God has shown life and salvation into the midst of our darkness and death in sin. Know that. Study it. Then be renewed by the, uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Then you'll know what pleases the Lord, verse 10. And that flows right into the negative challenge, starting in verse 11. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So living as children of the light involves 
staying clear of sin and calling it what it is, deadly, destructive, dark, whatever is unjust, whatever is oppressive, whatever is evil. Paul says, speak out against it, expose it. The darkness of our world today might include, does include, pornography, child trafficking, and abuse of power, and the killing of the unborn, and injustices against the poor. Living as children of light means we expose it for what it really is. Expressing light positively, exposing darkness negatively. They're both here in Paul's passage, and they go hand in hand. We never express light without exposing darkness. Back in 1989, there was what was called the the Velvet Revolution, which was a a nonviolent transition away from communist rule in the country then known as Czechoslovakia. Vaclav Havel was elected president, and uh, years later he was asked how this revolution succeeded without any bloodshed. And this was, his, this was his answer. We had our parallel society, and in that parallel society, we wrote our plays and sang our songs and read our poems until we knew the truth so well that we could go out to the streets of Prague and say, we do not believe your lies anymore. And communism had to fall. The church of Jesus Christ is the ultimate parallel countercultural society. Our plays and songs and poems are divinely inspired. They are most true, and they're all here to bring light to our lives. And when you know this truth so well, everything of darkness is not only avoided, Shown for what it is, it's exposed. Express light, expose darkness. They go hand in hand. Do you know light well enough to know what darkness looks like and how to avoid it? Last thought here in our passage. Light exposes, but it can also transform. Light also transforms. What does Paul mean when he writes in verse 13, everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Think of the moon, which has no light of its own, but when it, quote-unquote, receives the light of the sun, in a very real sense, it becomes a light. It's able to reflect what the sun provides it and then share it with the earth and illuminate, and even with its lesser splendor, expose Here's how J.B. Phillips' uh, modern translation back in 1960 tries to explain verse 13. This is what he wrote. It is even possible, after all, it happened with you, for light to turn the thing it shines upon into light also. And so Jesus in John's gospel says, I am the light of the world. And in a very real sense, we would say there is no other light. Just like for our, our planet, the sun is the light. And the moon is not the light, it reflects the light. But Jesus also says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. How are both possible? He's the source, we're the reflection. This is a very Christmassy idea that we're thinking about this morning. 
to, to take what you've received and to share it freely with others. And first, to recognize that everything that you have comes from the Lord. That's the only reason for radical generosity. It doesn't belong to me. I'm not the source. I didn't come up with this. And God can provide abundantly more, and therefore I can freely give it away. This is pointing to the essence of gospel grace, that in uh, the darkness of our sin, God has sent the light of Christ. Darkness can't change itself. We're hopeless and dead in our transgressions. Darkness needs light from outside to invade. And that's what the Father has done in the sending of His Son in that first Christmas. And when the light of Christ shines upon all who trust in Him by faith, uh, then you are illumined by the Son of God, S-O-N-S-U-N, and you become a reflected light that God can use, yes, to expose sin in other people, but not in a condemning superior attitude. Instead, in the hope of transformation from darkness to light, that God would do in them what His light has done in you. It's a very Christmassy idea. And then verse 14 helps us understand this transforming effect of verse 13. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This echoes, Paul may have combined a few Scripture passages. This echoes Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, which sure sounds like a prophecy about Christmas, where Isaiah writes, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Why did Jesus, God the Son, come to us on that first Christmas morning? Why did He take upon Himself human flesh? Why was He born in humility in order to die in humiliation? The answer that Scripture provides to us is this. He came in order to shine light into darkness. He came in order to expose what is deadly and to bring about what is life. That means that enjoying and sharing the Christmas spirit has nothing to do with sentimental tradition or uh, generic deeds of kindness, as good as that may be, as enjoyable as that may be. It, it has nothing to do, certainly, with overspending and overconsuming as the heart of what it means to celebrate Christmas. That's not what it's about. If there is such a thing as a biblical Christmas spirit, it has everything to do with the light of Christ. Light illuminates. It exposes. It shows us what we couldn't and maybe wouldn't want to see without the light. In other words, genuine biblical Christmas hope is directly connected with this sense of God showing each of us more clearly our sinfulness, our own darkness, which can't resolve itself. But joy to the world, the Lord has come. In that hopeless context, 
Christmas explodes with the newness of light and life. Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves, Jesus has come. Yes, a baby, but a king whose power will be displayed in weakness and humility because death must be defeated through dying than rising. This might sound like a a grinchy thing to say two days before Christmas, that this holiday is necessary because of our sin, that you can only receive this child king with humility through repentance of sin, turning away from everything else that is of darkness and turning to the only one who himself is light. But light brings life. Fast forward from Christmas morning to Good Friday afternoon. In the final hours as Jesus hung, dying, the Scripture tells us darkness came over the land. Why? Because the light of the world was willingly entering into the darkness of death so that when he broke its chains, he might call his people, as First Peter writes, out of darkness into his wonderful light. What child is this? What child is this? Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the Word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Does the light of the world shine in your life? If not, pray, even this morning, that God would open the eyes of your heart that you might see, yes, your sin because light exposes, but even more clearly see Jesus high and lifted up, shining in the light of his glory. Let's pray. Jesus, light of the world, shine even now into our midst. Shine upon us as a church. Shine upon us as individuals, Lord. Show us the darkness of our sinful hearts and lead us to light and life eternal as we trust in you. We praise you, Jesus. Amen.